Our guest is Jocelyn Rice of Black Earth United. She's here to speak about the Race Talks Holiday Market featuring BIPOC women-owned businesses at the McMenamin's Kennedy School, November 14th, from 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Race Talks, uniting to break the chains of racism. This is an amazing event featuring local entrepreneurs and visionaries putting their wares on the table and collaborating to support small business enterprise. Jocelyn, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Talk about your business. Talk about Black Earth United. What do you do? So Black Earth United, um, it embodies regenerative ancestry. It's really about connecting us with the earth and with ourselves through clothing, through workshops, and um, through storytelling. Small business is the backbone of our society. So how did you start and why did you decide to be your own boss? I started my own business because I just saw a need to support black and brown folks in outdoor apparel design. I've been a designer for about 15 years and worked for Columbia, Eddie Bauer. I've done some projects for the North Face, and I just love the outdoors. So it was something that was really important to me to start going out on my own. What do you put out? So currently, I do it in a very small scale way. I'm, again, just trying to work with more restorative and regenerative practices, really being inspired by the farming community and how they're doing a lot of uh, regenerative farming. So I do very small scale, one of a kind um, pieces. I have some do-rags in REI currently. So I started with that, which is a head covering for black folks. I just want to quickly go over participants at the market. Participating in vendors include Mimi's Fresh Teas, Heyday Donuts, Alice Price Art, La Tienda del Sol, Crystal Ball Botanicals, Akanaka Jewels, Green Witch by Selena, Black Honey Wellness, Drip Candle Goods, Ambelli, and PO5K. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, any other vendors in the holiday market, and who who runs these businesses, and why is it important? Sure. The vendors are so broad. Business is also extremely broad. So there are artists there selling their art. That art is a business. Um, there are, like you said, candle makers. There are fashion designers. So it's a very wide breadth of product, um, and it's Black women, black identifying, uh, women identifying um, human beings that will be there. I'm just really excited to share. Third Eye Books will be there, which is exciting. Um, So, yeah, just a lot of great humans. People, makers, they're makers, they're, they're leaders. Entrepreneurship is hard. Not everybody can do that. Is there something about this work that brings you joy? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I it makes folks smile. It makes them feel good. I think when you, for me, designing apparel and experiences that are connected to the outdoors, um, those things, seeing someone put something on and going out and taking their kid to the the bus or going to the park, it just feels good to be able to provide somebody um, with something to put over their body as they're experiencing the outdoors. I mean, there's definitely a resurgence um, with the pandemic, and it's exciting to see so many groups, you know, here, Camp Yoshi and Chad Brown um, of Soul River. There's an incredible amount of um, folks doing good work out here. I want to read from the Race Talks website. 
BIPOC women-owned businesses receive less than 1% of venture capital, and black women receive less than a quarter percent of that. Being intentional about eradicating institutional racism means being intentional about where and with whom we spend our money. So going back to this event, kick off your holiday season by shopping with intent. Join Race Talks in November for this holiday market. It will be an interactive shopping experience where you can shop, snack, and build community. I just wanted to ask you, Race Talks, we're, all, we're often thinking of Race Talks as a dialogue. Why, why is it important that Race Talks is running this? I think it's important that Race Talks is doing this because it's a very unique way of coming together. So it's an interactive market because what they do is have conversations. So not only will you be shopping, but you'll be in conversation with business owners and get a really intimate experience. So it's really exciting and new. And again, we're talking about some of the best and brightest people in our community that we don't see enough, that we don't have an opportunity enough to support. So that's pretty exciting. Who are your customers and who would you like to invite to be your customers? My customers are anyone who is a believer in restorative, uh, regenerative uh, business practices, anyone who seeks inspiration from the outdoors. Um, and I would like to invite the world <laughs> to join me in that. I am really working with a lot of different folks on how to craft a responsible um, re regenerative business practice when it comes to apparel. So that's really my biggest goal is um, ensuring that we continually give back to the earth um, and communities rather than just consistently extracting from them. And that's what you mean when you say regenerative. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Of course. Um, regenerative business is just a way to think differently about the model. It's a very circular model um, rather than um, linear. So talking about really ensuring that every piece of your business from the money that you're getting from philanthropy, if it's um, how you're giving that back to the community as well, what your supply chain looks like, and really diving in and thinking from the very beginning to the very end of how you're going to continually restore what you are extracting. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Can you talk a little bit about how you started your business? Of course. I am fully self-funded bootstrapping, as they call it, um, at the moment. There's a, a lot of really great organizations here um, that have helped. Um, Built Oregon is one of them. It's a really amazing nonprofit that helps small business. Built Oregon. Built Oregon. Um, also, the Black Chamber and the Native American Chamber have been extremely helpful, and they work really close together. And then just finding community, going to a lot of different markets and events. And so I just have been, it's a slow build when you're doing something like that. So I think for me, I appreciate the opportunity to slow down and really think about how I'm moving forward and surrounding yourself with folks who encourage you not to get discouraged because it is, um, there's a lot of ups and downs and sometimes more downs than ups. <laughs> I know this is going to sound simple, but it's so hard. It's just to do it. Just 
go out and start. Put it on Instagram. Put it on Facebook. Go to a market. Call someone that you are inspired by. It's a lot easier said than done, um, but we entrepreneurs are like plants. We just grow and you have to find the sunlight no matter what. So just, just put it out. Put it out. I want to go to the Race Talks website because this is an incredible nonprofit organization that's been around for some years. It's even a generational effort. And I just, for people who've just moved here, you've never heard of it before. Um, Race Talks has spent years actually bringing people to the table to talk about, uh, literally talk about race in, um, in what a lot of people feel is the whitest city in America. So they have community forums, they have affinity conversations, books and conversations, movies and conversations. And they also share information about progressive ways to organize. Um, Say, for example, just talk, uh, what is your, what is your format for having a meeting, you know, format for having a dialogue. It's actually really, it's actually really unique. And I wanted to ask you, who inspired you to participate this way with the community and this incredible nonprofit? Um, Is there anyone who inspired you as a business owner? Well, the person that inspired me to do this particular type of market is definitely um, Shana and Miss Donna Maxi, who are the Miss Donna Maxi is the founder of Race Talks, and then Shana is her daughter. It's a family-run um, business, and to be able to just be a part of something that's really innovative is extremely inspiring. And I'm excited to see how this is going to take shape. Can I back up a little bit and ask you a few more questions about yourself? Where are you from originally? I always say I'm from everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> My family um, were the second black family to come to Eugene and um, help found um, you know, the black community there. So um, Sam Reynolds, my grandfather, and Miss Maddie Reynolds, uh, my grandmother, um, have a lot of roots in the community. And so um, there are roots in Oregon in general. But I grew up and spent a lot of my youth in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then came back here. So um, there's a lot of uh, back and forth in that story. There is. Um, I went to college in Eugene, and one of my professors was Dr. Ed Coleman, one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. And he taught um, African-American literature. And I'm always fascinated by the people who have big minds and big ideas, who somehow land in places that might seem smaller than them, places that might seem almost unfriendly to their ideas. Can you, I mean, has ever, have you ever seen that? Can you talk about that? Did you say Lincoln, Nebraska? I did. Of course. I think when you stick out <laughs> in a place, it can be really difficult. And in a place like Oregon or Eugene, um, you know, the we're a really new state when it comes to being inclusive and discovering and exploring belonging. Um, But it seems to be moving very quickly. Um, And so I think being and growing up in these places where I feel a little bit out of place, um, I am encouraged to just continue to continue to be myself just because of my lineage and where I come from. My, my grandparents were also my mother's uh, family and their professors and their artists. And so it's just kind of in my DNA, I think, to continue to try, I guess. <laughs> 
Because these are difficult times, I think, anymore. Um, a lot of people are dealing with grief and, um, and just fear in general. Um, when you look around um, our metro area, Portland, what do you see? Oh, my gosh. You know, to be honest, right now, I do see a lot of hurt and pain and struggle and confusion. Um, And so finding our way through that through for me, it would be through the arts for others, it might be through um, their, you know, business practices for you, maybe it's through talking um, (laughs) to others, I think. But if we just, um, there's, there's a way through. But it's definitely going to be to it's going to be difficult and it's going to challenge us. But Portland can do it. One of the ways people have been coping is going out into nature. Can you talk about how that has impacted you? Oh, my gosh. I am so in love with with the outdoors. It is in other cultures. There's not a separate word where we are nature. It's who we are. Everything. This mic that I'm talking into pieces of it are from nature. There isn't anything. It's never not with you. And so what I love about it is and then why I started my business is just to think about it in that way versus just scaling a mountain or going hiking like you are, in fact, nature. And so being able to really be more in touch with it and um, feel like it's a part of me and my cellular makeup is a really um, been a really eye opening and interesting um, journey for myself that I'm still on. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about the products that you make? You talked about the do rag. What, ta- what, what, what makes it uniquely you? And do you have other designs that you're super proud of? I do. I make one-of-a-kind coveralls as well. They're inspired by Joseph K. Bowler, who was a preacher in the Annabellum South that designed the a Jim Crow traveling kit for himself. And um, he would wear the coveralls over his suit so that when he got to a place where he was preaching the Word of God, he didn't have spit or chicken remains on him and um, different things that would be thrown at him. And, you know, he couldn't... Um, sleep in the hotel so he would be outside and so just to protect himself he would use this garment and so I take these garments and I um, design stories on them and I do one of a kind pieces for different people and I'm currently working on a project where I invite the public to come and do Black Quantum Outdoor Futures Labs and create them with me so that we can make one gigantic quilt that will hopefully hang in um, the my dream would be for it to hang in the um the, I'm, I'm like drawing a blank. I was there last night. The IFC, the inner interstate firehouse. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about what you just said. Did you say Black Quantum Lab? Black Quantum, Black Quantum Outdoor Futures Labs. So they're inspired by Rashida Phillips, who is an artist in Philadelphia. She's also an attorney. And so she came up with Black Quantum Futurism, which is just teaching us that time isn't linear, it's circular, and that we can um, alter our past as well as our future by um, the way that we think. And so the fear of being outdoors as someone who is a person of color or anyone from a marginalized community, but there is also respite and joy and there were marriages there and there was, we learned so much and have such a deep rooted connection to the outdoors that that way um, we can um, explore that. We are joined by Shana Maxi Pomerantz of Race Talks. Thanks for being here too. Thank you for having me. Can you talk a little bit about the history of race talks. 
Um, how did it, how did it start, and what did it start out doing? So Race Talks was established in 2011 by. It's amazing founder, Donna Maxey, who happens to be my mom, and she started it in retirement. Uh, she was a guest at the Kennedy McMiniman School History Pub. They were talking about urban renewal. We call it Negro removal, but, you know, that was not the title. Um, and so because she was born and raised in uh, the Albina community, uh, specifically uh, the part that was torn down through the Emanuel Legacy expansion. So um, so anyway, mom was on the panel. Uh, it was a huge success. And she stepped out of that conversation realizing people needed to start talking. And, and so to kind of paraphrase what I've heard her say quite often is the events that occurred on January 6th, which is actually her birthday, and she forgot her birthday that year, was the key reason that she started Race Talks, because she saw the insurrection that happened in the Capitol, um, folks being angry, the heightening of white supremacy, white supremacist movements. She saw this continuing to rise, knowing also that we were going to be a majority, minority majority country. And so if we didn't start talking to each other, we were going to start fighting each other. And the thing about race talks is that you actually, I think you spend time trying to teach people and show us how to talk to each other. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I like to call this the gateway drug to anti-racism. So, you know, we we have people who are devout followers of Race Talks. Um, You know, we're wrapping up our 12th year of programming. We do it every month at the Kennedy McMenamin School. Uh, It's free and open to the public. We use things like ground rules, progressive stacking order. And so the idea is to give people uh, we, we've dubbed it Race Talks 101. So the idea is, you know, you have some tools that when you come into our space, you are learning how to engage in uncomfortable conversations, specifically around race and racism. But the reality is you can take these tools into any conversation space with family, with friends. And so we know during the pandemic, we had a lot of folks who are actually, when they would be on Zoom calls with family and friends, incorporating like ground rules and progressive stacking order into their conversations. And so, um, you know, the reality is uncomfortable conversations happen all the time. And, And we are not in the business of trying to tell people, hey, you should be anti racist, although we think everyone should, and we'd like to be put out of a job. But the reality is that the system is set up to do exactly what it's doing. And so we need everyone coming to the table to engage in these conversations. We need white folks who um, want life to be different, who do not want to have to keep Black Lives Matter in their signs because Black lives do matter and we just intrinsically live that way. We want black folks to not experience racism and have to say our black lives matter because people treat us in a manner that reaffirms and validates us. But the reality is we're not in that yet. And so we have to figure out how to come to the table, how to engage. And so we have light conversations like holiday market and being in business, which ironically is not light. We've talked about golf. We've talked about being in the great outdoors. We've talked about policing. We've talked about education. I mean, Anything and everything under the sun we we have covered <laughs> over the past 12 years. 
Can you talk a little bit about how that work actually has evolved? Yeah. So at the time when mom started doing race talks in 2011, these commu- she had race talks community forums, which we still have. Uh, so we were hosting them primarily at uh, the Kennedy School. And then we were also doing race talks, too, which were the community forums with the um, independent uh, police review, citizens review committee. So those were being held at high schools in the area. And so that was really focused and concentrated on um, policing and public engagement conversations at the time. And so over time, you know, when she first started these conversations, there really was not a lot of community engagement at all. You know, now, fast forward 12 years later, you can find a conversation 24 hours, seven days a week, somebody somewhere is, is is having a conversation around race and racism. And so I don't want to say it's a saturated market because as mom says, there's enough racism to go around. We can all have a little piece of it and do our work. And there's still enough racism to go around that we aren't covering all the areas. So what I like to say is there is enough people engaged in this work that if we are not your cup of tea, if we are not the space you want to be in, there are so many other spaces for people to find how to engage. And so, in fact, in this last year, we've started to diversify by pulling in community partners and featuring them as, hey, can you come be a featured host and engage on a topic um, so we can talk about this work? And so that's really how the holiday market was born. Um, It was originally uh, working with a business owner, a woman in business who here talking about how can we bring more attention and light to women of color in business specifically, but let's also utilize this as a holiday market and a vendor fair. And so what's really unique about the way we're doing this market is, first of all, we don't have a vendor fee. Um, So we are removing barriers for participation. Next, all the donations for this past year that we've received each month is redistributed to our featured community hosts. So uh, we've had people donate up to $2,500, you know, um, to our featured community hosts. So Everybody who comes to the community uh, market on November 14th, we have a suggested donation of $25 um, to come in. And so that is going to be redistributed back to all of our vendors. Uh, We'll have uh, hot cocoa and cider and things like that. So we'll ask for a donation for those things. Um, We absorb the costs with that. but And then McMinimins waives the venue uh, pricing. So that is their sponsorship donation to the work that we do, which is very nice because venues can be very, very expensive. So that's kind of the evolution. And then the extra piece of the vendor fair is instead of just people walking up to each table and saying, what do I want to buy? We're actually going to have Q&A amongst our vendors throughout the um, the program that allows them to engage with each other and ask and answer questions of one another. So it becomes informative and interactive. I have never heard of anything like that. That's fascinating. Yay, we have mission accomplished already. <laughs> Donna Maxey, um, your mom, is a visionary. I mean, yeah. a famous visionary. Yeah. She's been um, agitating for social change all these years. Yeah. Uh, the women that we have hosting the space, uh, Jocelyn talked a little bit about it earlier, but, you know, 
all different walks of life, all different cultural representations, um, and call Portland home. And so, you know, despite the diversity that we have amongst the different types of businesses and services and products that they offer, they all live within the Portland metro area. Um, They're all in business for themselves. And so, you know, I think the fact that less than 1% of venture capital is invested into women-owned businesses, but the fact that less than 20% of that is actually reinvested into black women-owned businesses. And we know that there are um, court challenges right now to a black woman fund based in Atlanta right now that is going through the court systems, preventing uh, venture capitalists to specifically invest in black women-owned businesses just to try to level the playing field and make it a little more equitable. You know, mom funded race talks through her retirement. So she always apologizes to me for the fact that she didn't have more of a business infrastructure to support, you know, like I just started paying myself this year. You know, we started getting some philanthropic grants to come in. But the reality is it's very difficult to go into business. And the other challenge when you're doing anti-racism work is that depending on who you get your money from, you kind of need to answer to the folks who are paying you. And so she has, in, in being a visionary, she has been able to be unapologetic about the work she does, bringing the people to the table that she brings, because she has funded it herself. <laughs> so she hasn't had to ask for a lot of permission. <laughs> if you just tuned in, our guests are... Jocelyn Rice of Black Earth United, and Shana Maxey-Pomerantz of Race Talks. You know, Shana, the other thing about uh, what you're talking about, the history of Race Talks, um, these... It, it might not seem like a big deal to get a bunch of people in a room with microphones, but Race Talks has actually planted seeds that resonated. Oh, yeah. And like you said, um, having the hearings about the police accountability, that's historic. Um, these things, they have a multiplier effect. Taking all your knowledge and saying, actually, we want to create an actual platform for women-owned businesses to come and actually make some money. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the impact that Race Talks has had in our, in our region? Absolutely. So I'll give you some numbers. Uh, We have had over 30,000 people uh, come and attend race talks and be part of our conversation audience. Uh, We have had over 450 panelists, uh, primarily people of color who live and work throughout Portland, who have sat on our panel and have educated our attendees on particular topics. We have trained over 100 uh, Race Talks facilitators. Uh, Back in 2018, we had previously been using Uniting to Understand Racism and Resolutions Northwest, and so funding shortages prevented Um, facilitators to continue to come. And then we were getting feedback that, you know, we needed to create more of a safe conversation space. And so uh, we ended up creating our own Race Talks facilitator program. And so we we train facilitators on how to specifically engage in race-centered conversation spaces. Shana Maxey Pomerantz and Jocelyn Rice of Black Earth United, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Find out more about Race Talks and their holiday market online at racetalkspdx.com. For KBOO, I'm Lisa Loving.